All right, welcome today to our Bible course. We're starting in the book of Genesis, and of course these first few classes are going to be introductory, where we'll try to lay some groundwork for the work that we're going to do. Starting in the book of Genesis, we will try to lay a good foundation upon which to build a good structure for what we believe and teach out of the Word of God. And in many cases, you might take a college course and you know a little bit about what you want to take and the career path that you want to go and you probably have some information about that and then you commit yourself to going to, to college or, or trade school or whatever the case might be. In the case of the Bible, it's not just as simple as, as going to class and, and learning facts. The Bible is a book that has to be approached by faith and the Bible says in and of itself, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So it is a reciprocal process. It is a, it is a process in which you approach the word of God with expectation and the word of God approaches you uh, with a spiritual transaction that produces faith. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so uh, we believe, and we'll get to this information later on down the road, but we believe that every man is born with a measure of faith. And if that faith isn't applied to God's word, then that faith becomes shipwreck. And that works in a lot of different facets. But we will talk about that later on down the road. Today we want to get into the introduction to the, to the Bible. And we'll do that in the same place in which we're going to start studying our Bible when you read your Bible, you ought to read Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation, Genesis to Revelation. And you can read it like that and at the same time skip around if you want to read some out of the book of John or Romans or whatever. Do that at the same time, but come back in your daily reading and read Genesis to Revelation and, and go straight through it from the beginning to the end. And of course, it starts in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And this is where truth starts. Truth starts right here in verse 1 of the first book. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. This is where truth starts. And Psalm 119 verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Thy word is true from the beginning. What a great statement that is when we are actually looking at the beginning of the Bible, the first verse in the Bible, the first book of the Bible, the first chapter of the Bible, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning. And the uh, premier verse that talks about the Bible, or the premier chapter that talks about the Bible itself, Psalm 119 says, thy word is true from the beginning. The thought occurred to me while I read that verse in the book of Psalms. The thought occurred to me that if it's true from the beginning, then that means you have to believe it from the beginning. Maybe if you pick your own place or your own private interpretation or your own favorite teacher and begin with that, then perhaps you might end up at the wrong place. That word is true from the beginning. So where you get your Bible knowledge and your Bible direction and your Bible inspiration is right here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You have to believe that. You have to approach that. 
as a foundation and a fundamental starting point in your uh, uh, approach to the Bible. If you don't uh, get this right, you'll probably get a lot of things wrong as you go throughout the Scripture. The Word is true from the beginning. You can't get the beginning wrong and get the end right. You can't get the beginning wrong and get the, the middle passages or, or, or any other passages uh, correct in their entirety. And a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If you get a little off in the first chapter, you're going to be a lot off by the time you get on towards the end. There's a, there is a fundamental fact in the marksmanship world that if you're off in your shooting position by a quarter of an inch, you could be off target by four or five feet by the time the round gets downrange to the target. So a little mistake at the firing line makes a big difference down where the work gets done and down where the, the points get scored. And so you want to be right on target right here. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And you, that, is a, that is not a description of anything except for a reference in time. In the beginning, that's the only uh, description that's being made in Genesis chapter 1, verse number 1. The, a technical statement of work does not take place in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth is a statement. He's not describing the creation at all except for uh, when it took place and who did the work. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That begins the description of what God is doing there in the beginning. And so in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and... Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So this is where truth starts. Psalm chapter 1 and verse number 1 is where truth starts, and you really do need to get that uh, correct, and you need to, uh, once you sit down with your Bible and you open up to Genesis 1-1, you need to pray and ask God for direction and ask God for inspiration. Now we talk about the Bible being inspired and we're going to talk about that a little bit today but what you need to do is you need to pray that God gives you inspiration. And the Bible tells us in the book of Job and we'll get to these verses in just a little bit but the Bible tells us in the book of Job that there's a spirit in man and it tells us that the spirit of God gives us understanding. We'll read those verses for uh, word for word in just a little bit but I believe the Bible is given by inspiration. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 and verse number 16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And it tells us a few things what the Bible is profitable for, what God gave us the Bible for, the reasons God gave us the Bible, for what purposes he gave us the Bible. And it tells us that God gave it to us for reasons, but God, but God gave it to us by inspiration. And the book of Job gives us the idea that inspiration is God giving us understanding, God giving man understanding. And of course, the common phrase that you get uh, in Bible courses and Bible classes is, uh, you know, a, a little bit of, a, of an education word. It's plenary. That means uh, full or entire, complete. The word plenary means complete. So we believe 
in, uh, in a complete Bible. We believe that we have all the Bible. We believe it's given by inspiration. We believe that God inspired men to write the Word. So I said all that to th- say this. When you sit down, you need God to inspire you. You need God to give you the understanding. And so that's why we study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's 2 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Timothy 2 and verse number 15. We need to be inspired ourselves. The word of God is inspired. It's given by inspiration. And that is the statement that the Bible makes for itself. The Bible does not say that the Word of God is inspired. It doesn't make that statement. Even though we believe that it is, the Bible doesn't make that statement. It says that it was given by inspiration. Now that means it's inspired, but what took place in the inspiration of it is that God inspired men. Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that word moved, being moved by the Holy Ghost, is the act of inspiring man to put pen to paper and write it down. Now, inspiration gives understanding, and sometimes the Bible is verbally inspired, and it's verbally inspired where it says so. And an example of that would be where the Bible might say, thus saith the Lord. Now, an example of that we can find in Exodus, Exodus chapter 4. We'll turn over to Exodus chapter number 4. Exodus 4 and verse 22 is a good example. Exodus 4 verse 22. The Bible says, And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh. Now this is God telling a man what to say. And he tells him exactly what to say. And this is verbal inspiration. This is God speaking audibly and directly to a man and telling him what to say. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord. Now that phrase, thus saith the Lord, as you're reading through your Bible, is a good indication and it's a real indication that God is telling the man exactly what he has to say to a, to a particular person or a particular people. Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, God has given a direct, uh, intentional, precise direction to a man verbally and I say unto thee let my son go that he may serve me and if thou refuse to let him go behold I will slay thy son even thy firstborn now that's an example of thus saith the Lord a direct verbal inspiration this is my son even my firstborn in other words God told the men exactly what to say word for word that's verbal inspiration now also in the Bible you have Uh, historical records. These records are being kept by man. The examples of these things would be 1st and 2nd Samuel. It would be 1st Kings and 2nd Kings, 1st Chronicles and 2nd Chronicles. These are historical records that's kept by men. Of course, the word chronicle, the word chronicles explains itself. You understand what that is. It's a history book. It's It's a record of the history of a people. In this case, in the Bible case, Uh, The books of Samuel, the books of the Kings, and the books of the Chronicles are a record of not only God's people in progress, but it's a record of the kings of Israel. And so that's where you get the name kings and so forth uh, and such as that. So it's a record, a historical record of the kings 
and their activities and the results that they got and how they followed the Lord or didn't follow the Lord and the results of those things. And so that's very important. You have verbal inspiration and you have historical records that are kept by man. And so uh, you also have, matter of fact, uh, there's a close proximity to this in the New Testament with the Gospels. The Gospels and the book of Acts is an historical account and it's a very special historical account because it's a historical account of the life of Jesus Christ and then the acts of his apostles once he ascended back up to heaven. But very, very uh, precisely, it is a historical record of the life of Jesus Christ and his direct disciples, his direct apostles. And so many times in the recounting of history, uh, especially if there's more than one author, you'll have a different viewpoint. You'll have you'll have a different account. Perhaps one account will give you more or less information than uh, a different source might have might have written down. Read the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of John. You'll find a different perspective. You'll find uh, what one man picked up, and of course this happens every day uh, that the church meets together. One man will sit and hear a sermon, and another man will sit and hear a sermon. They'll hear it in different ways, and sometimes that'll even go to the negative. One man will hear something uh, dark and offensive, and the other man will hear the best truth he's ever heard, and it's great light to him. Well, in the case of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, some of those things are looking back on uh, historical accounts such as the book of uh, Luke and he tells you what he's learned about the life of Christ whereas Matthew is giving you an account of being right there and John is giving you an account of being right there and seeing it in the first person and uh, taking part in it and having an experience with it. So these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are historical accounts just like the uh, the book of Samuel and the book, books of the Kings and Chronicles, they are giving you a historic, uh, historical account and they're given by different men from different reference points. And so from time to time you'll find facts and figures that seem to uh, diverge from one another. In other words, you might think that they're contradictory, but they're not contradictory. They're historic, uh, historical accounts given by men, just like you'll find statements recorded in the Bible made by devils and wicked men and offensive men and ungodly men. And they're not true statements, but they're there. They're recorded what those men said. They're not intended to be verbal inspiration from God that's, that's true and accurate and never ending and never fading. But what they are, they are accounts of what men said about particular things. And this is what you find in the historical books of the Bible. You have verbal inspiration and you have historical records that have been kept by man and you have statements made by uh, by other people uh, whether they're uh, godly or ungodly for example you have the devil thou shalt not surely die but they did surely die and so the statements were made and every statement in the bible is not meant to be uh, the truth but it, but it is a truthful account of what was said whether it was true or false. And so I hope that's understandable to you. If it's not, uh, rewind and listen a couple of times and I'm sure it'll be made clear to you. Pray about it. 
Okay, and then you have the prophets, which are a combination of verbal and spiritual inspiration. The prophets, uh, many times God said, write this and say this and do this, and, and they done that. That's what they wrote. They wrote down this is, uh, the prophets are uh, lean very heavily on verbal inspiration, God telling them exactly what to say. And you'll find that phrase, thus saith the Lord, many times. And of course, you find it in the book of Exodus as we read because Moses himself was a prophet and he wrote the first uh, books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was definitely a prophet. And so he uh, many times was able to say, thus saith the Lord. So when you get to the, the prophets, you have the major prophets. You have, you have uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And then, you've, of course, you have the book of Daniel. Daniel sometimes is included in the minor prophets. But I really think that, that Daniel is a major prophet. A lot of the things in the Bible that you understand, especially the book of Revelation, would, be under, uh, would not be understandable if it was not for the book of Daniel. And then you have the minor prophets, which is from from uh, Daniel on out to the book of Malachi. And those uh, books have a very great importance when it comes to the second advent. A lot of the material that you'll find in the minor prophets are uh, have an application to the same uh, topics that are covered in the major prophets, uh, uh, Isaiah and Jeremiah and um, Ezekiel. The minor prophets will have a lot of the same material there, but the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, put a great emphasis on the time in which uh, the Jews were living at the time that the books were written. But they also have application to the second advent and so when you read those, you get a lot of Second Advent material, but you, the emphasis is being placed on Israel as they are in the Old Testament time period. The minor prophets also have a lot of material that deal with their own day, material that they can use in their own time. But there's a greater emphasis in the minor prophets on the second coming, the prophecies that apply to the very day they're living in also have a very strong uh, influence and have a very strong accent. They have a very strong flavor just in the way they're written to the second advent. It gives you a very futuristic mindset. It gives you a very futuristic mindset when you're uh, reading it. In, in other words, it directs your mind to uh, future events just in the way that it's written. Of course, there's many things that you'll pick up in the major prophets that will send your mind out to the future when you read about the time of Jacob's trouble, uh, the greatest trouble that there ever has been on earth or ever will be, your mind has to go out there. And so there's, there's many nuances and really, as I said before, you have to approach your Bible by faith and be very alert and very prayed up when it comes to reading your Bible because at any time the Lord could point you, the Lord could take you from, uh, from B.C. to A.D. in the blink of an eye and show you something while he's talking to people who lived uh, 
3,000 years ago, he can take you out 3,000 years in the future and give you a very wonderful glimpse of, of prophetic things and far-reaching things uh, in a moment's time. And so be very careful as you read and be, uh, be, uh, be, uh, have a good understanding. Have a good understanding of the fact that when you're reading uh, prophecy, those prophets were not just dealing with the time that they lived in, but they're also dealing with future events. The book of Ecclesiastes ties a lot of these things together when it tells you the things that have been, the things that are written in the Old Testament, the things that have been, the things that are written about the history of man. He says the, hang, the things that have been shall be. They will be again. There's nothing new under the sun. And what all that's telling you is that the things that are written in the Old Testament were written for our learning. That's a statement made in the New Testament. They're written for our learning because of the fact that these things... Uh, God worked out so that they become become pictures of things that will happen in the future. The Old Testament writings are very typical. They're very uh, uh, they're very rich with similitudes, so much to the point where at at some point in your in your Christian studies, you will run across uh, the idea that. None of these things in the Old Testament are true. Uh, they didn't actually happen, but they're just stories that were made up to teach us relevant things for our lives, for our uh, religion, for our dealings with our fellow man. Just good stories. They're just good analogies. Uh, they're, they're proverbs. Uh, they're similitudes. Well, they are similitudes, but they actually did happen. But God worked in the lives of these Old Testament people uh, that, which we, that which he would do in the lives of all people later on down the road. And so the, the Bible is inspired in such a way that the things that happened in the Old Testament will happen again in the future. And we'll be able, the well-studied Christian, the well-studied Christian individual will be able to see where he is in the history of the world as the history unfolds, just by simply knowing and understanding the Bible. Uh, and you'll be able to understand, well, in the Old Testament, this man reacted to this situation this way, and it was good or it was bad, and the outcome was this, that, or the other. So the, the Bible really teaches us how to live our lives today, uh, both as individuals and as a complete and entire uh, corporate church, the Bible teaches us how to live by the things that were written about the people who lived in the Old Testament. We can live modern, up-to-date lives by, by reading, believing, and getting to know and understand the words of God, uh, though they were written uh, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, four thousand years ago. And so... You've got the prophets, uh, and of course, to uh, summarize a little bit, you've got the verbal inspiration, and you've got the historical records, and you have uh, statements made by men uh, in the Bible that are recorded that may or may not be true, and so you have to understand that the Bible sometimes records uh, what men said, even though what the men said were not true. And one of the most... Uh, incidentally, one of the most difficult passages to sift through when you're trying to 
find out what's right and wrong is the book of Job. The book of Job has many true statements and many things that are very wise and sound very wise and, and sound very spiritual when you're talking about the conversation between Job and his three friends and then there's another young man that that puts in his uh, account, puts in his uh, uh, sermon, if you will, towards Job and why he's going through all the problems that he's going through. Well, those men say a lot of good things and a lot of reasonable things. But then at the same time, God says, I found Job to be right. You guys are wrong. You need to go have him pray for you. And so it's a very interesting thing. A lot of the things that they said were right and agreeable, but God said they were wrong. And so that's a very fearful thing. It's a very fearful thing, and it's a thing that you have to realize when you're reading your Bible. It's like I said a while ago. If you get Genesis 1-1 wrong, the Bible says that word is true from the beginning. If you get the beginning wrong, then you might have a lot of other things wrong. Uh, a lot of the words you say might be right, and some people might say amen to it, and some people might take uh, great pleasure in it. And you might take great pleasure in, in being in a crowd where everybody agrees with what you're saying, but you might be wrong. And the Bible warns us very strictly about not letting other men deceive us and, and not uh, deceiving ourselves. And a lot of people, even myself, have uh, I've deceived myself many times just taking somebody else's word for it. And uh, surely if this man says this is true and uh, it's probably true and who am I to argue with him? Well, uh, it's not about arguing. It's not about any of that thing. It's about approaching, approaching the word of God by faith and being open to God's direction and then God directing you in the way that you ought to go when it concerns the knowledge of God and the direction of God from the Word of God. That Word is true from the beginning, and from the beginning we ought to be uh, very aware and very focused and very prayerful. So we have the, again, we have the uh, verbal inspiration, we have the historical records, we have things that are said by men that are recorded uh, just at face value. Uh, in most cases, they'll be right and true. In some cases, as in the case of the devil or uh, Ahab or Jezebel or something like that, I hope you understand what's being said there. They're, they're false things, but they are just quotations. God telling you what this man did wrong or said wrong or had wrong in his, in his Bible estimations or his estimations of God or man or finances or whatever the case might be. And then you have uh, the prophets, which is a combination of verbal and spiritual inspiration. Spiritual inspiration is God giving man the understanding, whether it be by preaching. The Bible said God uh, used, uh, has, uh, the Bible says in the book of Titus that God manifested his word through preaching. Now, sometimes God will allow a man to preach the word and you'll get understanding from that. And that is spiritual inspiration. If a preacher's preaching and you gain true uh, spiritual revelation from God's Word, that is spiritual inspiration. And that's what I say that every man, and especially every preacher, ought to be inspired. But I do say that every saved man ought to be an inspired man. His words ought to be right and true and honest and timely and effective. And you can be that, and you can have that situation in your life if you'll allow God to teach you, uh, whether it be through the Word or through preaching, whatever the case may be, 
You say, well, we have to, we have to check preaching with the Word of God. Well, certainly you do, but you're really talking about circular reasoning there. I think a lot of people use that to downplay preaching a little bit. God manifests His Word through preaching. Well, if you've got good Bible preaching and God teaches you through that, then that's, that's what God wants you to know, and it will be uh, right from the Bible. And You'll search the Scripture to see if those things are so, and you'll find them to be so. A lot of people are not looking to find things so. They're looking to find fault. And that's, that, therein lies the problem when you approach the Word of God. Don't look to find fault. If you're looking for truth in the Bible and then you hear preaching, which is supposed to illuminate the Word of God, it's supposed to make sense of the Word of God, it's supposed to open the Word and break the bread, well, then that's the, that's the case. If you're, if you're trying to study the Word of God and you hear something false, then you'll be able to realize it and you'll be able to check it and it'll be easy to check. And if you're trying to just disprove something, well, God may give you, uh, God may give you enough rope to hang yourself with. And I'd be very careful about being critical, although critical thinking is a wonderful thing and you, you ought to be uh, guarded. You ought to be uh, guarded. Well, let me say this. You ought to be guarded, but at the same time, you ought to be very prayerful. And if you're very prayerful and you're very studious when it comes to the Bible and you're very uh, submissive to the Word of God, and I'm not talking about being submissive to men necessarily, although that, that is a needful thing from time to time. Be submissive to the Word of God and be submissive to the preaching of the Word. You'll, you'll be living in a very safe space. A lot of times it's not that it's not that you're afraid that you're going to be deceived. A lot of times it's afraid that some, you're afraid that somebody else is going to be right and somebody you love is going to be wrong and that's hard for man to deal with but it's not very hard to deal with if you submit yourself to God before you sit, uh, submit yourself to man so you have uh, verbal and spiritual inspiration in the prophets and then you have the epistles which is the purest form of spiritual inspiration and that's where we go and we'll read in the book of Job Job 32 let me find that right fast. Job 32. And this is one of those examples I was telling you about. Job 32 is the Elihu discourse, one of Elihu's discourses. And in the end of the book of Job, you'll find that God says these men were wrong. But, and what he was talking about is their, they were wrong in their approach toward Job. They were Job's friends. They were contemporary with Job. They weren't without knowledge. Job wasn't hanging out with a bunch of apostates and and uh, heretics. These men were men of understanding, but their approach toward Job was incorrect. And so they said some right things and some very good things. Uh, but and, and this is an, a good example of that. Job chapter uh, 32 and verse 8. Job 32 and verse 8 says, But there is a spirit in man. You have a spirit. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. It's God's spirit dealing with man's spirit. Of course, man's spirit does belong to God. So it's very easy for the Spirit of God to communicate with the Spirit of man. But that Spirit has to be humble Spirit, has to be a dedicated Spirit, has to be a submitted Spirit. And when God finds a Spirit like that, His own Spirit deals with that man and teaches that man what's right and true, and He gives them understanding. And that's the case with Paul, especially that's the case with Paul, but it's also the case with his apostles and the men that he sent, and in some cases women that he used in the book of Acts. 
the epistles are the purest form of spiritual inspiration and that spiritual inspiration that I talked about with the prophets and here in the epistles is what is being described here in Job chapter 32. But there is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Look at the context around it. I said days should speak. Well, people that's got some days under their belt should be the one talking is what, uh, is what he's saying there. Always be mindful of that. As a, as a young preacher and as a young Bible student, you'll learn something and you'll want to, to speak it. And you certainly can do that. And you certainly should do that, especially in your uh, witness, especially in your uh, daily witness and trying to tell people about the Lord. I said days should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit of man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. What he's saying is, is, you know, the older and wiser should be speaking. But God can give all of us uh, wisdom and understanding through the inspiration. Through inspiration, God give us all understanding. And in this case, in that sense, David said, uh, I know more than than the ancients. I know more than, than my teachers know. And so that's a very uh, generalized statement about what he said, but he did say it. So he says uh, here in Job 32, he says, great men are not always wise. In other words, days, uh, uh, many days worth of experience in this life don't always make a man wise, but it's the general sense of the thing. Uh, great men are not always wise, neither do the aged understand judgment. Therefore, I said, hearken to me. Also, I also will show mine opinions. So he's basically making a, a an excuse for him to to be instructing Job as well. But having said all that, verse number eight is certainly a true and a right thing. But there is a spirit of man. That's true. You do have a spirit. I have a spirit. And then it says the inspiration of the Almighty, what God can do, what God can move uh, in your mind, what God can perform in your mind will give you understanding. There is a spirit in man and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. That's great and a true statement. And again, let me give you the reference from Second Peter chapter 1 in which he said, Holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And that moving of the Holy Ghost certainly is a description of inspiration. Now, we're at 34 minutes, and we're going to stop right there, and we'll come back, and we'll start at this point in the next class.